Amen. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll continue this morning on our journey through Ephesians. As we sang in that last song, my sin has been erased. What we're about to talk about this morning, I mean, in many of the things that we talk about every week, indeed, every page of Scripture would not be possible had our sins not been erased. Just keep that in mind. A particular application for today. So let's read. Verses 1 through 10, rather quickly, of chapter 4. We're going to spend our time today in verses 7 through 10. So let's begin chapter 4, verse 1, rather quickly. It will not be on the screen, at least I don't think. It says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says... When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Let's pray. Father, pray as we study this wonderful passage that's up. We would be so, so encouraged and pushed and even brought to repentance where needed that we would be and live as your people. And Father, I give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look through verse 7 through 10, the foundational temptation, I believe, in the current scriptural context that we're in, verse 7 through 10, that we find ourselves in today is not, so the foundation of temptation is not that we would be tempted to use these gifts he speaks of for our own kingdom building, although I think that that is a risk and a temptation. I think the more foundational temptation would be that we would see these gifts as something that we have acquired ourselves or just simply have and not actually see them as gifts from a gift giver. You see, it's only when we lose sight, I think, often of how we've received the unique gifts that God has given us that we begin to use them then for the wrong kingdom. I would say we also in that we fail when we when we fail to see these gifts to the body as gifts from a great giver that we also fail to recognize how much we need them. 
You see, if we view the body just like we view anybody else in the world, just as good, kind of average people, even if we step aside and say, looking at just Christians in general, and we kind of just go, oh, we're the kind of good, average people, then I can see how then you could function even kind of going in and weaving yourself in and around a body of people and not actually take advantage or utilize the gifts of other people or use your gifts to serve other people. But when you recognize them as a gift from the hand of the great gift giver, then that demands something of us. That demands expectations of us. That, that means certain things. So as we ask the question, how did you get the gift of, say, servanthood? Or the gift of teaching? As, as I think about myself as a teacher, like, is this just something that I acquired? Or is it a gift from a great gift giver? If it's something I acquired, then in some ways I'm the, the, the owner over that. But if it's something given to me from God, then it's something I must use for His kingdom. And it's something also that you all need. Or what about caring for other people? You know, some people have just a gift of, of concern and, and uh, mercy for other people and, and grace. And, but what about giving? The gift of giving. Like being sacrificial with your finances and with your time and those sorts of things. Huh? I mean, there's many other gifts we can talk about, but how did you get that? How did that come to be something that you have? You see, if we acquired a gifting on our own, then that makes us master of that gift and sovereign to choose to use it to serve whatever purpose we deem necessary. And most of the time, we will use that gift ultimately just simply to make ourselves happy. However, if you acquired this gifting as indeed a gift from the generous gift giver, the Heavenly Father and His Son Jesus and the Holy Spirit, then you are bound to His arranged purpose for that gift. Indeed, when you see it as a gift from a generous gift giver, you will delight in using that gift for the giver and His purposes. So today, what I want to do is I want to dive into Christ as the generous gift giver and just kind of begin to touch on the purpose for these gifts. We'll flesh that out in the weeks to come. But just begin to touch on the purpose. That I kind of want to paint the broad purpose for these gifts. And then we'll kind of dive into specifics of these gifts as we talk about <clears throat> these in the days to come. Let me start with this thought here. If you dream of using your gifts to serve a group of Christians, if you dream of using your gifts in, to use them in the body, to be selfless, to be encouraging, to help strengthen the body, and one day cast that crown at the feet of Christ, hear me. I think your hopes for your dreams are still too, your hopes for your gifts are even still too small. There's an even bigger purpose that, I, that our gifts serve in the body those are great things and i hope that those are desires for you to have that desires that you have when it comes to using your gifting to be selfless to be encouraging to strengthen the body those are all wonderful things but hear me there is even more 
when it comes to the purpose of the gifts that God has given to His church. The reality is Jesus Christ is the generous gift giver and He has a plan for these gifts that only He can ensure the success of. That only He can see followed through. That only He can see used ultimately for this purpose. Let's reread chapter 4 verse 7 through 10 that we'll focus on this morning. He says this, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. So here we go. Here's what's happening. Paul is continuing his exhortation of maintaining unity. So he's talking about this idea of unity in the body, and he's continuing this exhortation with the word but. What he's going to do is now he's just going to kind of go at it from a little bit of a different angle. So Paul so far has been talking about how God is maintaining unity in the body and talking largely about the internal workings of our heart in this role of maintaining the body. Talking about humbleness and patience and gentleness, bearing with one another love. These are very internal things. And he's about to, about to work through some very external things. But what he does now is he switches to a short section here describing, if you will, a very Christ-exalting discussion concerning gifts. He is now going to begin talking about how God, through Christ has gifted the different members of the church for the purpose of ultimately exalting Jesus at the end of time as we know it. The uniting of all things in Christ. And Christ then has given the church gifts ultimately to serve that purpose. As a part of this plan to ultimately exalt Christ and and to unite all things in Him, God is building a house for Himself. We've seen this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22. It says, In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now let's talk about that for just a second. We talked, was it last week? I get my weeks. Transcendence and eminence. Was that last week? Okay, last week. We talked about transcendence and eminence. What's he talking about? Transcendence, right? There's no place on creation or in this creation where God can dwell. He is high above it all. But then we talked about how his eminence. So the, and yet God is building for himself a house where he will dwell. This is his eminence. I mean, what a crazy thing. This house, though, I don't for lack of much better terms where he is building for his dwelling place, is a bunch of little Christs. It is people transformed into the image of Christ. Where do I get that from? Later on in chapter 4, he says, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So, getting at this uniting all things in Jesus, what is going to head that direction is us becoming like Christ, us becoming like our head. How are we going to get there? He has given gifts 
to help get there. So these gifts have come to help build a dwelling place for God, which is a bunch of people together transformed into the image of His Son, Jesus. So God is going to unite all things in His Son so that He emerges as the glorious one. He is most primarily going to do this by setting some captives free from the bondage of their sin and then subsequently transforming them into the image of His Son. Now, we cannot just say that statement without me just encouraging your mind and heart to think about how difficult of a task that is. That He would set people free from their bondage of sin and transform into the image of His Son. Now, the beautiful thing is, as we think about how difficult of a task that is, I want, you, I want to take you to the Old Testament, right, where he rescues his people from slavery, right, in Egypt. He sets them free from their bondage. He takes them on a journey to a promised land to be his promised people. But what's he do? He doesn't just say, okay, I rescued you, now go be my people. What's he do? He gently and patiently leads them. He gives them graces, the law. Leaders, examples, prophets, all these things, all these gifts, if you will, to lead his people. All of this, I think, ultimately points into an even greater reality where now God rescues us from sin, the bondage of sin, and puts his spirit in us and then leads us to be his people. And he leads us to be his people now through most primarily and fundamentally the church. So here's what I want you to see today. Five ways in which Christ is the generous gift giver, giving us what we need to be God's people. Five ways in which Christ is the generous gift giver, giving us what we need to be God's people. Now I'll say this as a small caveat, this is not everything that we need. This is just a portion of what we need, but it's a big portion of what we need. Christ has said this is necessary for you in serving this purpose, in accomplishing my task. These are not things, what we're going to talk about today, are not things that we can just take or leave, or that we can go for large seasons of our lives without. These are necessary components. The first one is this. Christ has given us the whole body in order to be whole ourselves. I'm going to flesh that out, but Christ has given us the whole body in order to be whole ourselves. Now, when I'm thinking church, I'm thinking church the way Paul is, going to, is thinking church here, and he's thinking you church in Ephesus. He's not thinking universal church, at least majority of the time here. He's thinking about the application of this in the local church. The church called renovation, if you will, if Paul was writing us a letter today. Verse 7, he says this, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of the gift of Christ. First kind of thought that I have here for you is that we are one, individually a part of the whole. We are one, individually a part of the whole. Now, here, here's, 
it, it's a little hard to see, I, and I, haven't, I didn't scan all the English translations that we have, but I know like in the ESV and, and the, um, the Holman, you know, you all, you all with your beloved Holman Christian Standard Bibles, uh, neither of them represent this passage the best. It's interesting, at the, when you get to verse 7, so he's been talking about one body, one faith. When you get to verse 7, it literally reads, but, comma, to each one of us. So if you look at your, like the ESV says in verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us. Now that's not wrong, I and mean, that's certainly correct. It's just not helpful in seeing what Paul's doing here in his writing. Paul is actually carrying on the idea of one. So now read the context with me. One body, one spirit, one Lord, one God, over all and in all, but to each one of us is what Paul's doing. He's carrying this idea of one. He's not just starting a whole new thought and saying, okay, now you all are just individual people. Let me tell you about some gifts that you were given. But he is talking about this idea of one, that we are one in the sense that we are individuals, but we are also one when we are part of the one body. He is addressing us as individuals that are a part of this one body. We talked about uh, a few weeks ago that, the, at least in the epistles, we are never addressed as mere individuals. We are always addressed as individuals as a part of something bigger, the church. So here's what this looks like. First one is this, unif- unity without uniformity. That there is a recognition of individual peace and, and diversity, particularly in weeks to come. We're going to talk a lot about diversity within the body. But it's a unity without uniformity. We confuse the two all the time. We water down unity when we make it about uniformity. This is not at all what Christ has in mind. Right? We talk about uniformity, dressing the same, thinking the same, you know, or thinking in the same ways. Um, You know, a lot of legalism is born out of the idea of of mistaken unity in uniformity. They they, they kind of thrive in that uniformity. That's a little easier to maintain, a little easier to, to kind of keep under the thumb. Uniformity is much harder. It's much more spirit dependent. And it sometimes doesn't feel as comfortable as uniformity does. Unity much deeper. Now we're not talking about, when we talk about like uniform, we're not talking about, like we as a church talk about rhythms all the time, about being in the same rhythm, uh, doing life together in similar rhythms. Uh, that's a good thing. And I'm not, that's not a, that's a, a helpful piece in helping bring about unity. But even within that, rhythms are going to have some uniqueness to them. I mean, the reality is, when we think about uniformity versus unity, we all really just want people to think like us, right? I mean, anybody in here? Am I alone? Like, it would just be awesome if everyone would think like me, right? Huh. You're laughing at me, but you know it's true. 
that about you that is <laughs> you're like yep we know it's true about you thanks for the encouragement the problem the problem though is that people are not being saved to think like you or me they're being saved to think like Jesus so let's think about Christ now for a second if you're taking notes uh, the next sub-point is that Christ, though, is perfect in every way, right? He's God. We talked about this. I'm not going to jump around Scripture to show this. You can go read your Bibles. But he is in perfect eternal relationship with the Father, right? We, we know this. Yet he is everything we need for life and godliness. And we think about different gifts given to the body. I don't want to get too ahead of myself here. But, but he is the gentle hand when we need lifting. He is the firm hand when we need discipline, as we talked about this over the weekend with, with church discipline, or not church discipline, with disciplining our child, right? Uh, that that we, we, he disciplines us because he loves us. And God is directly involved with a firm hand in, in disciplining us, yet he is the wonderful mouth that reminds us always of the truth alone, Right? Here's his mouth speaking to us. He is the feet that carries the truth to those who need it. Right? And yes, Jesus is the head. I'm not denying that portion. He's the head that directs all of his actions. But he is also the perfect representative of all of these things to which we have been given gifts. And we are being transformed into that image. The reality, though, is that we cannot be all that Christ is except when we are a part of the body, right? So I'm going to give you something I think maybe that's going to challenge a little bit of our socks off here this morning. I don't mean, when I, when I say this, I don't mean to its fullest extent, like you can be all that Christ is every single last drop if you're a part of the body. But in general, as we think about these gifts that Jesus is the perfection of, if you and I don't have all of those gifts, but He's given those gifts to the body, then there is something for us to have and something for us to enjoy and something necessary for us then in the body. So as we think about this Christ thing, that He is all of these things in perfection. He has given these gifts to this one people who are part of this one body. Let's think about what are we unified in. We are unified in that we're all saved the same way in Christ. That's kind of the first thought we need to kind of lay down. That we are unified in that we're all saved the same way in Christ. Again, think about this unity versus uniformity. We all come to salvation in the same way. So we are unified in that we are all saved by grace through faith. We're all unified. Think about that a little bit further. And that we could not save ourselves. And without God bringing our heart to see the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross as a glorious reality, you would have never believed in its truthfulness as a payment for your sin. We are unified because that's what God has done. And I pray that if you are here and you've not repented of your sins before a holy God and believe that Jesus paid the price 
for your sins as God poured out that punishment on Jesus on the cross that God would give you a new heart to see this reality today. That he would give you, that he would give you new birth where you would see the glorious truth of a Savior hanging on a cross paying the price for your sins. So we are unified by God's salvific means, but we are diverse because we need each other's different function and gifting in order for us to be and enjoy all that Christ is. Listen, some of you are not gifted at being merciful, okay? I don't know if you know that, but some of you are not very merciful. Um, I can think of at least one or two people. That are not very merciful. I'm not very merciful. Uh, I hope I've grown a little bit in that over the past year or two, but I'm just not very merciful. Some of you are not gifted at administration, like at organizing things. You're just not. Um, yeah. Some of you are not gifted in, in many other ways, right? But God intends for us to experience the grace of all that Jesus is as it's expressed to us from various people within the body of Christ. If Christ is these things, and He has given gifts to people in the body with these things, with the the gift of mercy, the gift of giving, the gift of administration, the gift of teaching, the gift of servitude, like, if He is he is all these things. He's given him the gifts. Then we cannot experience and enjoy all that Christ is then apart from that body. This is a grace that God intends for you and I to experience. Because if you are not merciful, then you will never experience even practical mercy for your soul unless you experience it from other church members gifted with mercy. Or if you're not prophetic and able to discern the truth with clarity, you will struggle to experience and grow in this unless you experience it from another church member gifted with it. This would be one of my arguments for church membership. That you cannot experience the fullness and grow up into maturity in Christ apart from the body of Christ. This is why a college isn't enough. This is why a parachurch ministry isn't enough. As this passage is in the context of the local church, not a local university. This is why your family isn't sufficient. Because your family hasn't been promised to have all of the gifts that Christ has given. Like Certainly our families have given different gifts. My wife has a different gift than I do. But between her and I, we don't have all of these. So we miss out on a, a lot of these gifts that Christ has given to the church. Which is why? Which is being filled with His fullness. 
This is why we can't forsake the gathering together. This is why people that you know who call themselves Christians, who stay at home and watch, you know, they do church on TV, right? Have you heard anyone say that? We do church on TV, right? This is why you can't. At least one of the many reasons why you can't, but a very big reason. Because there is no exchange of the gifts of Christ given to the church via you and that television other than the gift of money they ask you to send you send them every week. There is no exchange. There is no... So then the question is, how are you going to... I'm not going to get ahead of myself now, but how are you going to grow in that gift if you can't experience that gift, let alone the enjoyment of a gift that you don't have? I mean, think about this. I'm going to pick on the mercy thing here for a second. But people who tend to be merciful, like not merciful with other people, some, a lot of times are not merciful to themselves. So you need other people to be merciful to you. To show you mercy. And to awaken your soul with mercy. As that should, if you understand it as a gift from Christ, then point your heart as a a person lacking mercy, back to Christ. You see, these gifts are given to cultivate maturity, this wholeness that we were meant for. So when I talk about this, the whole body is giving to bring about wholeness for you. I'm not talking about, you know, going to Whole Foods and eating kale. I'm talking about, right, I'm talking about what you need internally for a life of eternity with the Father. That we get to, in a very real sense, experience that wholeness now. That feeling of Christ now. Yes, we have it. We are filled with Christ, but there's this increasing fillness that comes, and it comes as we are built to maturity and cultivated towards wholeness in the body of Christ. And by wholeness, I very specifically mean that we would each grow up in all of these gifts as we learn them from other people that Christ has given that gift to. There's a very practical reality here. If you're not merciful, you need to be shown mercy to grow in mercy. And God has given that gift to someone else. So if you need to grow in mercy, go find the person who's merciful and just experience their mercy. Go be stupid in front of them and then let them show you mercy. Okay? Guys, listen to this. We are most whole when we are experiencing the wholeness of Christ through His body, the church. Nowhere else. Nowhere else. And I say that, even having gone to, in my opinion, the most prestigious universe, uh, seminary in the world, right? The Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Loved it. Loved every moment of it. And crazy, I'm thinking about doing some more school, not leaving, correspondence, but like... But it's not the church. And I will not and did not and cannot experience the wholeness of Christ there. I can here. I mean, think about that, right? I mean, Southern, lots of theologians, people who know the Bible way better than many people will ever know them. You know, Dr. Albert Moeller, right? He just like 
Mr. Theologian himself. I, I don't know. Like, it's just crazy. And then there's us, right? Like there's us. We struggle to read our Bibles each day. We struggle to pray as we should. We struggle to glorify God every moment of every day. Like we struggle. We all struggle to do these things. And yet, I can only experience this wholeness of Christ here with you and you with me. Not there. We should move on to the second point this morning. Christ has given you a gift to help others become mature in Christ. He has given, if you have been redeemed, sealed with the Spirit, you have been given a gift to help others become mature in Christ. So he says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. This is not the gift that Christ has, but Christ's gift that He has given. So these gifts are to build up the body, not to build up your own kingdom, right? I I know it's kind of obvious, but I want to make it very emphatic. He's given us gifts here for a purpose, and the context is for helping others become mature in Christ. He gives gifts to build up the body, not to build up our own kingdom. This is probably why many of us find great frustration and are spiritually worn out. Like, we get worn out when we are using gifts for the wrong purpose. God has given us gifts for His kingdom. Now, I just I do want to separate. I did say spiritually worn out, emotionally worn out, be, because you should be physically exhausted. I mean, that's what we're called to do. We're called to work hard and then rest later. That's what we're called to do. It's rhythm. Work hard. And then we rest. We work hard, and then we rest. But I'm talking about this, like, spiritually worn out, and maybe even emotionally worn out. It's like, he's using gifts in a different way. Let's think about this. Genesis 11, 4, you can go read that later, but the Tower of Babel. They say, let us build a tower. That's fine. Nothing wrong with building a tower. Go build a tower. Let us make a name for ourselves. Now it's about their own kingdom. The tower now has a purpose. It's to serve their own kingdom. Then what happened? The Lord confused the language and scattered them. What did He do? He frustrated them. He frustrated their plans. Listen, if you are using your gift for the wrong kingdom, it's God's grace to frustrate your plans. So if you're having some of that frustration, maybe you're using your gift for the wrong kingdom. But I would also you to encourage you to consider this, that you might have little to no frustration. Even if, but, but, but the kingdom you're building still might not be the right kingdom. Maybe you've so used and isolated things to, to, to kind of secure or to insulate your little kingdom. But I would just ask you to consider this. Are you using your gift in such a way that it is encouraging you and building up others to walk more in a manner worthy of the Lord and you alike? If it's not, then then maybe you're building the wrong kingdom. 
So he gives gifts to build up the body, not to build your own kingdom. But I also want you to see Christ's generosity in the giving of these gifts. Just see his kindness to us, his grace to us in giving these, these gifts. Do you understand that Christ giving us these gifts is such a generous thing for our wandering and needy hearts? We need this. But, but I get it. Right? We're in this very self-sufficient, very individualistic, we're just good kind of culture. I mean, that's just foolish. But you don't understand and probably, the, probably if that's you, then you don't understand what you've been called to. Because if you understand what you've been called to, it would dispel this self-sufficient individualism that we've created in our culture. Because you'd realize there's no way to get to that apart from the gifts of God's grace to us to accomplish that and to reach that. that so I want you to see his generosity, that he would be so kind to pull from his wealth of kindness and begin to pour it out on us now. That this is not just something he's waiting for till we get to heaven to now he's going to just shower down all the kindness on us and, and for now it's just, you know, a bunch of smiting and, and just, you know, kind of getting along. What's he doing now? He, he is building us towards that. It's, it's, it's going back to Genesis, it's always an increasing, ever-building fashion. And so this kindness that he's going to pour out on us ages upon ages that we've talked about in Ephesians is beginning now. And one of the ways he's done that is by pouring out the gifts to the body. And here's the deal. You will only worship Christ for this generosity to the extent to which you know and have experienced the gifts of the body. So see Christ's generosity with a little more of that in, in a little bit. I also want to point out to you that this generosity is not for building up individuals, but it's for building up the body. Right? This is something, kind of a fine-tuning point that we need to make. Certainly, at different times, you're going to be specifically concentrating in using your gift for an individual. Certainly. But the picture's bigger than that. The reality is, is when you help one person grow in maturity, then all the lives they use their gifting for have now been influenced by your using of your gift in their life. I mean, this is one of the most wonderful blessings that, that I and, and Rusty get from our seat, from our vantage point. Is that as, as I get to teach on Sundays, I lead house gatherings, I disciple different people, and like, and then you, like, particularly now having six years of ministry here and seeing the the second and third and fourth generation discipling that's taking place, and of course sometimes that's scary because you kind of see where you failed and you see them repeating some of the things that you were not, you didn't do well, and and then you got to kind of go back and fix some of those holes in the ship, and. You know, but, but the glorious things you get to see, like, wow, I was using my gifting in that person's life, and the impact that it had is now being used in the next person's life, and the next person's life, and the next person's life. Like, that's wonderful. So I, I just want to, again, open your eyes up to see that you're, when you use your gift for a person, it's not just that person, but the whole body. So keep your eyes on something bigger. I'm afraid, again, our hopes for even our gifts and the use of them are too small. 
So I'd ask you this question. Are you using your gifting to bless other people? And are you seeking to have God's vision for that? I would also encourage you, as you think about that our gifts are for building up the whole body, I would encourage you to think about choosing and building relationships with intentionality and being careful. Like, certainly, right? Here's Jesus. Here's what Jesus did, right? I'll just give you an example. He spent most of his time with two or three people, Peter, James, and John. But here's the deal. It radiated out from there. He didn't do that to the exclusion of other people. He did that there, and then he ministered out just, just in a little bit less. A little bit less time, a little bit less energy. And then, and then he ministered to the big crowd, but again, with a little bit less time and a little bit less energy. So it encourages us as we think about using our giftings that, that we consider carefully that we, don't, that we don't end up exclusively using our gifts for just a couple people. So have a few close friends, but then radiate the glory of what God's doing there beyond, just like our Savior did. <clears throat> In the next few moments, I want to kind of dispel some misconceptions about gifts as we kind of begin to plod through this a little further. <clears throat> Very quickly, there is no gift of understanding the Bible other than the gift given to all Christians. Okay? This just... There's no gift of, oh, well, they must have the gift to have that insight into Scripture. Um, we're all given the Holy Spirit to understand the Scriptures. There is no gift of making disciples, except for the gift given to all Christians. It's not, oh, well, that's just for the mature few. The gift of making disciples is, is, is a it's not even a gift, I'm really. I'm, it's, it's a command. But then it's something we're given grace to do. There's no gift of sharing one's faith. I mean, we're all called. I mean, that's just a part of making disciples, but we're all called to this. That's kind of the first three. Another one. Just because you are not gifted also doesn't mean that you shouldn't serve in that capacity. So want us to be careful that we don't just take our gifts and go, okay, I'm just going to streamline everything I have in that gift. You're missing the point. You're missing the point. The point is for us to grow in development of all the gifts. So that's going to be by being encouraged in that by other people, but also from having to work through growing in that gift in different capacities. That kind of, I kind of jumped into my fourth one or my fifth one here, but your calling is to be good at all the gifts. Because listen to this, the point is not just that each of us use only our gifts and so make the body whole, but that we get better at all the gifts as we are blessed by the use of those gifts by others. As we experience mercy, so I can grow in mercy. I've already touched on this. And just very quickly, Gifting is, we've talked about that we do a spiritual gifts class, a service and mercy, administration, exhortation, prophecy, and so on. Um, like gifting is at least one of these, but I don't think it's just, it's limited to this list either. So, with that said, let's move to the third and a main, I wanted to kind of dispel a few misconceptions for just a few moments. But let's get to this, this third main point. Christ has given you all the necessary grace 
to accomplish his plan for you and the gift he has given you. He has given you all the grace necessary for this plan and for your gift. Look at verse 7 again. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Listen to that. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I think about using my gift week in, week out, time after time, and plodding along through that, you know, half a verse at a time, and, and another verse at a time, and trying to get through more verses at one time, and, and doing all this every week, that seems insurmountable to me. But then I'm reminded, the grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now this is not saving grace, but ministry grace. Not saving grace, but ministry grace. Christ generously gives grace to each believer in proportion to each gift. Each gift has a certain measure of grace for the use of that gift. So He not only calls us to a marvelous task of using His gifts for His body, but He also gives us all of the supplies that we need to do it and to do it according to His plan. Imagine that. So the question is, what does this grace look like? Let's just think about this for a few moments. What does the grace look like that we've been given to accomplish this gift? Think very practically here. Grace to learn how to use the gift. Like He's given you unmerited favor and helping you learn how to use this gift. He's given, how about this? Grace to use it when no one says thank you. Grace to use your gift when no one shows appreciation. Imagine that. I mean, think about this, right? We are doing what God's called us to ultimately for His glory. And we talk about the struggle of that, right? Because it's when we start doing it for other people's, for ultimately for our glory and getting appreciation from people that we're not doing it for His glory. But listen, He's called us to do it exclusively for His glory and He gives us the grace to do it. I mean, how kind. He could have just said, look, make it happen. And we'd have been, oh, right? But He gives us the grace to do it. How about this? Grace to persevere when the times get tough. It just made me stop for just a moment and think about this. Church planting, I don't know if you all know this, but that's it's pretty hard. Like starting a church from the ground up with a handful of people, and then like most of those people leave, and you know, and then you have to like do it again, and you know. Some of you don't know this. We we started with eleven people. There's four of the original 11 that are left. That's me, Sarah, Rusty, and Jess. Um, <laughs> you know, two pastors and our wives. And Jess wasn't even a wife at that time. Uh, and uh, but God, in His grace, helped her persevere through. And, and then it was interesting because like after we, just shortly after we started uh, fall of 2009, the other people kind of started to dwindle. 
And God sent us like in January, February, March, just right around in there, 2010. Just a few couples that God has given the grace to persevere even through to this day. So I want to encourage you, you newer people, like there are people that God has sustained their grace. Like God has, by His grace, sustained them here. And we get to enjoy that today. So this grace to persevere when times get tough, and, and that has many other applications, but also God has given grace to the others around you to utilize their gifts on your behalf and for your good. Let's think about that for a second. This means that when they frustrate you because they aren't using their gifts, you can trust that God's grace is sufficient even in them. Another thought underneath that, that he's given enough grace for others to utilize their gifts, is that you can trust that God is imminently involved in grace supplying for the use of that person's gift. Now listen, God may use you to help them grow in their gift, but you can be patient and humble and gentle and bearing with them in love because God's grace is sufficient in them and the growing of that gift. All right, let's kind of wrap this point up and we're going to fly through these last couple ones, I promise. Now, Paul does something pretty unique here. Like, and that's not unique, because Paul does it all the time. He's done it multiple times in Ephesians. It's just awesome. Maybe that's the better word. He's walking along, telling us that Christ has given us gifts, and he just kind of breaks out into this kind of weird, like, whoa, Paul, where'd that come from? Now, again, if you have very little understanding of the graciousness and the beauty of living in the body and experiencing the fullness of Christ through those gifts of your brothers and sisters. Like if all you can think of when you think of like others using their gifts for you, if, if, if you just think of oh, it's fun to hang out with other people or, or like we have this modern idea of like fellowship, right? It's really just like, it's really just like shallow hanging out. Like, and that's what we call fellowship. See, I, I, I tend, I, I don't know if I frustrate some of you all, but I hope not. But when I hang out, a lot of times, like, I want to have deep conversations. Like, I want to talk about real things that really matter for a real life of eternity with Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean I have to do that all the time. But when we start talking about fellowship, like, and I'm not saying it always has to be, like, you know, I mean... Right? I mean, oh, here comes Matt. I'm going to bring the mood down. I'm going to talk about something real serious. That's what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> like, this should be fun and we can enjoy God together, right? right? But, but I'm talking about more than just, oh, hi, how are you? Glad we could talk today. And, you know, and then we can just go on our way. But what is, what is fellowship? And maybe we need to preach on what does fellowship look like. But it certainly looks like the using of our gifts for the good of others in relationship. But my point here is, is that if if only thing you can think of when you think about using your gifts for the body is just this very simple and shallow understanding of fellowship or and such, I'm sorry, but you're going to struggle to see the marvelousness, particularly in these next couple verses. These gifts 
we have are the spoils of Christ's victory over sin and death. Listen, they are the spoils of Christ's victory over sin and death. See what it cost for us to have these graces to us. Look at verse 8. So he's given us these gifts and the grace. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And he gave gifts to men. What is he doing? And I think there, there's some different understandings of what Paul's doing here, but I think from, from my studies of what Paul is doing is, is he is giving a summary, if you will, of Psalm 68. He is taking Psalm 68 and, a, and giving just a, a general summary and using that here in this passage. What is Psalm 68? I read it earlier this morning. It's a victory hymn. It's a victory hymn. It's a success. We have won the battle hymn. And what happens when there's victory? There's spoils in that victory. There are rewards. There are gifts. And then it is given out. There is, the king would even give sometimes these gifts to the men for their victory. So what is Christ's victory? He triumphed over sin, death, and hell. That is His victory. He didn't just conquer a city or you know, slay a sinful people. No, He conquered sin and death itself. He defeated death. Death was put to death in the death of Christ. Sin was defeated for the first time ever. A man was able to be born, live, and die without succumbing to the temptation of sin. And because, listen to this, because he defeated death and set us free from sin, he made us capable recipients and then bestowed upon us the gifts necessary to minister to each other in You see, the gifts could not be ours unless they were spoils of a victory. And the victory was the victory over sin, death, Satan, all that is evil and despicable in us. And he makes us a worthy recipient of his gifting. See, when we engage, listen to this, when we engage in using our gifts and we do this by his grace, we are glorifying Christ as we honor His victory in the enjoyment of the spoils of that victory. You want to honor God? There's many, many different ways to answer that question, but certainly here, it is to enjoy and use the spoils of His victory. The last thought I would have for you this morning is this marvel at Christ's generosity and power. Look at verse 9 and 10. Paul says this. In saying, he ascended. What does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. 
he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Here's what Paul is saying. Christ descended to the earth to live as a man. And all that's wrapped up in that. Then he ascended into heaven as the risen Christ, Savior, and King. He's gone and he descends to the lower regions, the earth. And then he ascends as the risen Savior and King. He came all the way down and has now gone all the way back up. Because of this, because of this, Christ is in all, and he is above all. Sound a little familiar? Look what Paul's saying. The same thing he just said about God. That God is transcendent, and he is eminent, and then now Paul says that Christ is both transcendent, and he is eminent. That he is in all, and fills all, and yet over all. And he's saying this in the context of giving gifts to men as spoils of this victory. How is it that God is over all and yet in all? It's his son Jesus is the one making it happen. He's the one that made it possible and he's the one doing it. How does Christ do this? He gives gifts to us and the grace to use them so that we might be cultivated to maturity, that He would fill us in ever-increasing fashion. Think about this maturity as we grow up in Christ. It's like being filled in an increasing fashion with the fullness of Christ. You see, the goal, the goal is not just that each one of us be like Jesus. That's not just the goal. That's a, that's, that's a good goal. It's just not as good of a goal as you could have. But the goal is that each one of us mature in Christ together, helping each other get there together by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit, that we would then fill the earth with God's glory as Christ fills all things. You see, Jesus is cultivating our fill of Him by giving each of us gifts to spur us on in this. And this is we are filled with Christ. We spread God's glory across the earth. See, your gifting was given you by Christ and is ultimately for the purpose of filling the earth with God's glory as you use these gifts in the body of Christ. The last thought I would leave you with is this. Marvel at Christ's generosity and His power in accomplishing this. Your gifts are the spoils of the victory that cost God His Son's life. And experience the fullness of Christ through His gifts given to the body. This is God's purpose for us. We want to have unity. This is just another piece in that puzzle of having unity. It's knowing where that gift came from and then using that gift 
to build up the body so that we all would be mature in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. We're going to uh, uh, be served the Lord's Supper here. So the band's going to actually come forward um, as the mills come forward to serve us the Lord's Supper. I want to encourage you with a couple things here. If you have not um, been washed with the blood of Jesus, repent now and trust in Him as your Savior. He's your only hope. He is my only hope. I would encourage you to do that. To, to trust in Him as the one who paid the price for your sin. And if, if, you, have, if you have not, and, and even not in this moment, um, would you, I would encourage you to just, just remain seated and, and watch as we celebrate remembering the, the gift of our Savior Jesus Christ in dying on the cross for our sins. I'm going to pray for us as we continue this morning. Would you guys bow your heads? Father, thank you for this time and I thank you for your your kindness and and uh, rescuing us from your sin or from our sin, Father, and rescuing us with your salvation. I pray that if there's anyone here that has not, that has not trusted you as their Savior, Father, that you would lead them to repentance and faith. And Father, I pray that for us that who are redeemed, that Father, we would celebrate the spoils of your victory. That we would enjoy the spoils of your victory. Father, as you, as you have given gifts to men. You have given gifts to us to enjoy. And so, Father, I pray that as we sing your praises, that, that we would celebrate this victory and that we would seek to use the gifts you've given us for the building up of your body. Father, we give you praise for that. And we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you guys... Um, you guys can remain seated or you can stand and sing um, and the Lord's Supper will be up here in a few moments. So.